The Holy Gospel for this day comes from Matthew chapter 25. Jesus said to the disciples, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Last Sunday, the congregation of First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, gathered for worship. This week, the pastor of that church announced that the church building will be demolished in the near future because, he said, there are too many people who don't want to go back in there, into the sanctuary, where 26 people were killed during that worship service last week, including the pastor's 14-year-old daughter. You and I, and all of us in this country, have heard this kind of story too many times in the past year or two years, three years, ten years. One time is too many, isn't it? And yet, in the 310 days of 2017, there have been 307 of these incidents. Some larger than others, some get more media attention than others. That number, 307, comes from a nonprofit organization, Gun Violence Archive, and includes all incidents in which four or more people were shot or killed. Other statistics may differ. People count these things differently, but there are no statistics which tell us that this is not a problem. Whenever this happens, wherever it happens, we brace ourselves for the inevitable arguments. Arguments about whether this is an issue of mental health or gun control laws, whether it is about toxic anger or race or religion, whether we will ever understand what drives someone, in most of those cases, a young white man, to commit this kind of horrific crime. We spin ourselves and others in a hundred different directions, casting blame, trying to understand, frantic to explain. We argue and argue. In social media, with our family and friends, in the halls of legislative bodies, in schools, with our neighbors and colleagues, we argue and argue, and each time, 
almost nothing gets done to change anything at all. Until the news cycle settles down and we wait for the inevitable, living in the space between, waiting for the next time this happens again and again and again. Because emotions run high around these events, <clears throat> including my own, we sometimes want to avoid talking about them at all. I don't know whether the topic of this sermon today or even having this conversation makes you feel relieved that we can actually talk about this kind of thing in church or makes you dread whatever it is you think I might say or if you just wish for one place in your life for one hour where you could not think about this, not have to deal with it, just for a short time. All of those are perfectly understandable. But if we believe, as we say we do, that God is calling us to reflect into the world the compassionate, challenging, inclusive love of God that we meet and see in Jesus, if we believe that, then we cannot run away from hard things. We cannot stick our heads in the sand and pretend that this is not happening or sing about the kingdom of God and then act like the kingdom of God has nothing to do with ordinary life. If we are who we say we are, then change has to start somewhere. It might as well be now. This past week, I listened to a conversation on KUOW between three religious leaders, all of them from the local area. Imam Adam Jamal of the Muslim Association of Puget Sound, also called MAPS, Rabbi Dan Weiner of Temple de Hirsch Sinai, and Pastor Priscilla Paris Austin of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in downtown Seattle. The radio host started by saying that many of the people listening might be preparing to gather in a worship space this weekend for the first time since this event in Sutherland Springs, Texas. One of the first questions the host asked all three of these leaders was how they react when they hear the common refrain so often said or written by politicians and public leaders and honestly by many of us after terrible events. Something like, the victims are in our thoughts and prayers. Now I confess that this is something I struggle with a great deal because prayer is a good, holy, central thing. Prayer can get us out of our own minds and our own struggles and our own lives and into the lives and hearts and struggles of other people. Prayer opens us up to the voice and the will of God, which can and should be the birthplace of change. Prayer can change things. Prayer does change things. Many of us have perhaps experienced that in our own lives, even though sometimes it can take a very long time to understand how. In today's gospel, which you might be wondering if I would ever get to, but I will, in today's gospel, we hear a parable that Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven. Like many of Jesus' stories, the meaning is not necessarily obvious, and it might actually have many different meanings, depending on who we are and who our communities are. 
before Jesus tells this parable, it's in the middle of something, a conversation that he's been having with his disciples about what we would probably call the end of the world, or at least the end of the world as we know it. A day when the Son of Man will return, when things will be put back as they should be. A day of judgment for all that harms and kills. A day when, as the prophet Amos said so many years before, when justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. But both Amos and Jesus agree that it won't be an altogether good day. It will come unexpectedly, without warning. It will come to disrupt everything that we consider normal and ordinary. It will come to end things that might actually benefit some of us who are kind of on the top part of the economy. There will be joy on that day, but there will also be some weeping and gnashing of teeth. That day will come, says Jesus, like a bridegroom who wakens ten sleeping bridesmaids. Five of them are foolish and five of them are wise. In your biblical trivia moment for today, the word for foolish here is morai, which literally translates to morons. The foolish moron bridesmaids, they talk a good game. They put on their matching dresses and they go to wait as they are supposed to do, but they don't do anything else. They assume nothing about them as to change. They don't actually do anything to prepare. They just go. The wise bridesmaids take the time and effort to get some extra oil just in case the bridegroom is delayed. Now you know how the rest of the story goes. We could get into an argument about why the wise ones don't share with the foolish ones, but the parable in Jesus never judge the wise ones for that. Instead, the unprepared ones have to rush around trying frantically to get done what they should have done beforehand. And by the time they get back, the party has started and the doors are closed. Talk was not enough. Words were not enough. They were a fine place to start, but they didn't produce any oil. Whatever else this parable might mean, it at least tells us this, it's not enough to talk. You have to do something too. Now this parable just happens to be assigned to this day, the 23rd Sunday in the season of Pentecost, which happens to be the Sunday after another mass shooting in the United States. It is a day in which there have once again been a lot of words, a lot of thoughts and prayers, many of them very heartfelt, and yet not a lot of action. Still nothing much has changed. As people of word, holy word, holy wisdom, as people of word and sacrament, we know that words do matter a lot. We know that prayer matters, that it makes a difference. And yet all three of the faith leaders whose conversation I listened to this week challenged me, and they challenged you and I, all of us, to remember that prayer was never meant to be a substitute for acting. Pastor Austin said boldly, 
She said, we pray as people in order to hear a response that drives us to action. Rabbi Wiener said boldly, God does not want these things to happen. God mourns with us, but God also gives us the faith to do the right thing. And Imam Jamal said boldly, thoughts and prayers are not enough. We need to reach out to each other. Let's use these events to jumpstart our relationships and not wait for the next one, the next event, the next casualty to come together. Brothers and sisters in Christ, no single person among us, no one here, no one in any office, no one high or low in all this country has all the answers to solving this complicated and terrifying and enormous problem. But we are not called as followers of Jesus to do nothing while we wait. Our God has given us bodies and minds, courage and strength, creativity, wisdom, persistence and faith to do, to try, to act, to fail, to repent and to try again. It is not enough to wait around like foolish bridesmaids for the end of the world as we know it, which is how it feels every time one of these shootings happen again. This is something Jesus does talk to us about, that while we wait like those bridesmaids, we can act. We can try. We can pray and think and talk and then do. We can go look for oil and fill up the lamps. Your action will not be the same as your neighbor's. Your ideas about this problem will not match the person sitting next to you even in this room, even if you live with them. Those ten bridesmaids probably didn't agree with each other on everything either, but five of them didn't let that stop them from doing something while they waited. One of the strangest and most beautiful things Jesus says about the end of the world as we know it is that it is nothing to fear. That sounds odd, and maybe even impossible, until we think about all the things in this world as we know it that do need to end. Our fear that we might offend someone so we say nothing, that needs to end. Our demonizing anyone who disagrees with us on this or any topic, that needs to end. Our collective willingness to value the profits of industries over the lives of our fellow human beings, that needs to end. Our awful, gnawing fear that someday we will be the ones in the wrong place at the wrong time, that so badly needs to end for every one of us. And we can be a part of it ending. Those three faith leaders on the radio ended this conversation with words of hope. Imam Jamal said, hope is such a big word, even though it's small. The Quran repeats twice, with difficulty comes ease. It's not enough to say it once, he said. There is light at the end of the tunnel, but it's not going to come with just words. It will also come with action, with us acting together. The rabbi added, 
We have hope in a better world and a better humanity, but hope also comes from a sense of agency that we can do something. There is hope in all of us taking concrete action toward common sense gun control. And Pastor Austin said this, hope begins in the fact that we are all beloved. And in the midst of things like this, that we can be a source of strength to each other. That despite all the anger and frustration, we can choose to love and be a people of the light. This cannot be a day in which we simply wait for mass shooting number 308. We have work to do. We have prayers to pray. We have conversations to have. And we have action to take. We will not always get it right. We will be foolish plenty of times. But we also have a God who comes to us as a rabbi, as a teacher, as a savior, as a flesh and blood human being who confronted plenty of violence in his own life and took that violence, every bit of it, into the grave with him so that when he came out three days later, we could remember who we truly are, that we are people of resurrection, that we are people of courage and not fear, of hope and not violence, of freedom and not shame. We are called to be wise, to fill up those lamps, and then to go with good courage into God's beloved world wherever it is broken or hurting, to be people of thought and prayer and action. Give us oil in our lamps, we pray. Amen.